This is the Top Entrepreneurs Podcast, where founders share how they started their companies and got filthy rich or crash and burn. Each episode features revenue numbers, customer counts, and other insider information that creates business news headlines. We went from a couple of hundred thousand dollars to 2.7 million. I had no money when I started the company. It was $160 million, which is the size of many IPOs. We're bootstrapped. We have like 22,000 customers. With over 5 million downloads in a very short amount of time, major outlets like Inc. are calling us the fastest growing business show on iTunes. I'm your host, Nathan Latka, and here's today's episode. Hello, everyone. My guest today is Matt Mullenweg. He is the co-founder of the open source blogging platform WordPress, the most popular publishing platform on the web, and the founder and CEO of Automatic, the company behind WordPress.com, WooCommerce, and Jetpack. Additionally, Matt runs Audrey Capital Investment and Research Company. He's been recognized for his leadership and success by Forbes, Bloomberg, Businessweek, and many, many other magazines. He's originally from Houston, Texas, where he attended the high school for the performing and visual arts and studied jazz saxophone. In his spare time, he's an avid photographer. He splits his time between Houston, New York, and San Francisco. Matt, are you ready to take us to the top? I'm ready. All right. Very good. So I'm excited to chat with you now just to, I want to put this out there right away. When people think about automatic and they think about WordPress, how should they think about the relationship between the two? So think of WordPress as an open source project and software that people can run anywhere in the world. And automatic both provides some WordPress services and uh, contributes a lot to the project. So they're separate, but closely related. I think where people get confused is a lot of the same people are behind each, including myself. Yeah, you gave a good analogy on stage, which uh, t- was to kind of think of yourself as the as the Procter and Gamble between behind brands that we know and love, like WordPress, WooCommerce, Jetpack, and others, right? Yeah. All right. So, give us the backstory here. You you know you were early on at CNET, I think, doing open source stuff. Was that right out of college? Yeah, I actually ended up dropping out uh, to take the CNET opportunity. I had visited San Francisco. Uh, kind of in between my sophomore and junior year and ended up connecting with a lot of great companies, including Google, Yahoo, CNET. And then when I returned, um, started to get some job opportunities and I decided that, you know, it was such an incredible opportunity. I could stay in college two more years and hope to get that kind of job or I could just go for it. And it didn't seem, uh, I wasn't too into college at the time, but I also wasn't going to like an amazing school. I was going to University of Houston, which is fine, but wasn't like as great on the tech side. You weren't going to miss the jazz club or anything? That's actually the thing that probably got the worst after I moved because in Houston, I've been playing jazz since elementary school. So um, I've played saxophone since elementary school. So I had very deep connections to all the, the groups here and I would actually gig. I would generate a good chunk of my income uh, from playing around town. Then when I moved to San Francisco, that totally stopped. What corner was your favorite in Houston? Where'd you, where'd you get the best tippers? Uh, I think I only bust maybe once or twice. Normally I would play, um, like big band gigs or, uh, played in, you know, coffee shops a few times, like mostly just stuff with friends around town. But the big band ones were the best cause they were often union gigs. So you'd get kind of like an actual paycheck in the mail. 
That's pretty cool. Guys listening, uh, if you don't know, obviously, uh, WordPress, uh, we'll learn more about it today. But also with Matt, we're going to touch a bit on his new project, Gutenberg, which was released earlier this year as part of WordPress. He also did some early investments in BitPay and Coinbase back in 2013 before it was, you know, hot and cool and doing what it's doing today. Uh, he then left and returned as CEO of Automatic, uh, which I want to talk about kind of how he did that. And then offer also in 2007, he made a, well, I don't know how to describe it, but he made an important decision to turn down an acquisition offer, which uh, I think there's probably some lessons there that I'd love to chat about. So Matt, take us back to year one. When did you launch WordPress? WordPress started in 2003. And that was, uh, that was, you kind of turned, did you have, I, you had other opportunities on the table. Why decide to go do your own thing? Oh, well, WordPress was really just like a, a hobby. And it was something I was doing kind of nights and weekends or instead of my schoolwork, which was frequently... <laughs> Um, and it wasn't until about a year after that is when I took the job at CNET and a year after that is when I started automatic. So starting of automatic in 2005 was more where there were different opportunities, including continuing at my CNET gig and, uh, decided to really dive in on a startup. And how did the open source community, uh, judge you opening up a company that was clearly meant to, to kind of build the ecosystem and also make money to enable you to build further. How did you manage those expectations with the open source community? Oh, I think people were highly skeptical, but rightly so, um, regardless of who I am or anything. Like the history of most companies coming out of open source projects is that the open source project really suffers, especially kind of years four to six when the company like starts to maybe feel the grind of fundraising or growth or something like that. Um, we now have, you know, over a decade of automatic and, and WordPress. So uh, even though today there is still some skepticism on my motives or automatics motives or things like that, or just people in the ecosystem who work against automatic very directly, um, we now have a lot of history showing that uh, I very much take a long-term view to these things and that the automatic and WordPress can grow very much together. And in fact, automatic, I think, has helped WordPress grow far, far beyond what it would have without it. Today, or at least in your guys' 2016 report, you shared almost 595 million posts were written in that year on the platform and 457 million comments had hit. What do you think that's going to look like here in 2017 as we close out the year? I'm sorry, you froze for a second. Oh, no, I'll, I'll go. I'll repeat it, Matt. So uh, it looks in 2016 in your report, you articulated almost 600 million posts were written on the platform. What do you think that number will grow to here as we wrap out 2017? Oh, I don't know. I don't follow the number of posts super closely, um, simply because it can be kind of a... It's a good vanity metric, so I'm glad that you picked it up. But it's not necessarily but, vanity, right? I mean, a lot of people will lead interviews or questions like this with revenue numbers, but revenue can lie if people aren't addicted to your platform. So I like to lead with usage-based questions, and really the post is a good one for you. Yeah, um, maybe I should be thinking more about posts. <laughs> why don't you? Wait, why don't you? This is interesting. Um, well, I think because... You know, what we're trying to do is get more people blogging, not necessarily more posts. Uh, the post numbers can get kind of thrown off a lot by, you know, kind of the outliers um, or major publications, which use WordPress quite a bit. Or I think we we take this out of the number you just quoted, but uh, some of the numbers I look at internally, like when people import, like let's say people are leaving Tumblr, which is actually a pretty 
popular one to leave for these you, days. You like leading, you like that story, don't you? Um, <laughs> no, no, it's actually a little sad because Tumblr is a very vibrant platform. Yeah. We're getting a lot of imports. And so someone might import like 10 years of Tumblr post into the WordPress. So those can throw off some of the posting numbers. So a lot of what I'm looking at right now is kind of the monthly active users. Um, so weekly in that ratio to weekly and daily. And then another thing I'm thinking about a lot is uh, that ratio to our mobile active users, so people using WordPress on the apps. And I guess I'm thinking about posts from the point of view of Gutenberg, which I know you wanted to talk about a little bit later. But um, with Gutenberg, it's not so much we're trying to get people to create more posts, although hopefully that's a good side effect. It's that we're, we really want them to be able to realize in their posts and pages, you know, really rich layouts in their imagination. Right now, people are still kind of in that kind of more text blogging mode, and we well, want to Snowf- take the, that to the next level. This, I, I don't know if I'm misquoting you on this, so correct me. But was the New York Times piece, the Snowfall piece, written on WordPress? Oh, I don't think it was. I think okay. that came out of their uh, one of their custom dev teams. Got it. I wasn't sure. So, now, now, are they part of your VIP? The, yeah, they are a VIP, and that's kind of the idea. Is that what? New York Times spent probably tens of thousands of dollars to do a few years ago. We'll be able to enable anyone with WordPress and Gutenberg to do just kind of out of the box. Of course, the hard part is writing the story. It's not yeah. the layout. But, uh, but I'm fine with that being the hard part. Right yep. now, both parts are hard. And Matt, I have a lot of cold-hearted capitalists that listen to this, along with a lot of developers, but I don't want to lose my capitalists. So I have to ask the question. You know, you're a, you're a guy that just seems hyper-focused, and we'll talk about what happened in 2007 or 2005 here in a second. But um, talk money to me for a second. How do you guys make money? So we are, you know, vast, vast majority, 98, 99% uh, subscription business. So uh, the three main things people subscribe to are WordPress.com, which is hosting for WordPress, and Jetpack, which is services for WordPress if you host it someplace else, like it could be Bluehost or GoDaddy or Rackspace or anywhere. And then finally, WooCommerce, which is our e-commerce platform. And so that's people who build stores, uh, listings, they sell digital goods, physical goods, or just take bookings like for salons and stuff. People use it for all sorts of e-commerce. So between those three, we have kind of products you can subscribe to at each. And um, that's really the main driver of the business for Automatic. And are all the, I mean, these are all kind of their own SaaS business. You have kind of ARPUs or is the WooCommerce one also take a transaction fee or are they all just pure SaaS plays? Uh, So WordPress.com is pure SaaS. Uh, Jetpack is also SaaS, but there's some software you run yourself. And WooCommerce is much more of like you're buying software and it's a long-term support model. So there's a little bit of SaaS there, but it's mostly more of like selling software. Yep. And then uh, Tony, who we'll get to kind of Tony, and I'm really interested in the story of how you kind of left and then came back and did some kind of investing in the middle. But Tony, who was the CEO running uh, Automatic or WordPress for a while, uh, shared in an interview that you guys, I believe it was in 20, was it was it 2012 or 2014? Uh, you guys passed, I think, 45 million in, in revenue. Um, the re- one of the reasons I'm intrigued to be talking to you right now is I recently, two days ago, uh, talked with Ryan Smith, who was the Qualtrics CEO, and mm. they just raised a big round of funding and very directly said, you know, we will be IPOing. All the messaging around your announcement on the latest round of funding was we're doing this specifically to stay private. And so <laughs> I want to I w- I dive more into that with the following question. We'll build up to it. But you got an offer in, in 2005, I believe, for $200 million, and, and, or at least it was speculated, right? 
get get me into your brain at that point. I mean, this is a guy where in college you were playing jazz on corner corners, enjoying yourself, making some money. Where was your headspace in that moment to turn down that offer and also try and rationalize it with yourself? I think we've talked a bit about that publicly. It was 2008. So it was about ah. two years into automatic, two and a half years. And it was a $200 and, uh, million dollar offer? It was of that magnitude, yeah. Okay. And the company at the time was also really small, like 20 or 25 people. Can, can you uh, share revenue that year? Uh, I would call it negligible. Okay. <laughs> so it wasn't really a revenue multiple. Less than offer. 5 million? <laughs> uh, I don't remember actually, okay. but like probably in that range. Yeah. Um, and so really, really cool offer. Uh, would have been great partners. And sometimes I wonder, not that I should have taken the offer, but just where we would have gone if we had done that. But the, the main thing for me was um, it was very early for automatic. And it seemed like there was a lot, lot more we could do that we could do that best if we were independent. And then for like my day to day, the things I was doing then and now, which is like leading the product for WordPress, working alongside great people at Automatic, creating services, trying to create that dent in the web, if you will. Um, it's like, well, if I had $100 million, I'd want to do exactly that. <laughs> you know, I don't know if I'd want to change my life at all. And um, so what we ended up doing is sort of turning that into a round of funding where we both put some new money into the company. Uh, Matt, can you share who that was? What company made that offer? No. Okay. And um, but when you say you both, and I don't understand what you mean when you say you turn that into an investment, the company then invested instead of acquired you? No. So, you know, it's very common when you get an acquisition offer, it sets a value for the company. And so you can use that to go back to your investors and say, hey, you know, if I'm not going to sell, why don't you invest at this value? So we were able to do a round at like a 200 million valuation. Um, and that was uh, New York Times actually joined that. And it was largely our existing investors. So all of our existing investors kind of re-upped. And we did do a secondary part of that round. So they bought some stock from existing folks, including myself, which you know, I would say is good for founders by taking a little bit of money off the table. Um, I was certainly in a place that I didn't really need to think about money again. Um, and that allowed me to focus on the company not worry about any of that stuff. And Wait, really Matt, try sorry. To build it to be as large as possible. How did you get your brain to that point? So you launched in 2005. When was kind of that moment money-wise for you where you didn't, that wasn't a motivating factor for you anymore? How did you make money from that quickly? You know, I think there was both some of the early revenue and automatic that, so for better or worse from a pretty young age, from when I was like 22 or 23, um, I had a lot of confidence in not, having to pay the bills. And then I don't remember exactly when the, so 28, I would have been 24, I guess. That was more where it was like, okay, I could retire um, <laughs> if I wanted to but retire. you wouldn't. I, I don't think I ever will. Got it. Okay, so you turn that into investment and then update us today. Uh, how much total have you have you raised? I think total at this point, we've raised around, let's say around 200 in primary and about another 150 in secondary. Okay. So, Somewhere around 350 total. Got it. And I think that last one was May, May 5th, 2017, right? It's around mm-hmm. there? 20, that would be this year. I think our last round was in 2014. 
I'm glad I got clarification on that. And then while- <laughs> no worries. I was thinking, I was like, wait, did we raise money? This yeah, <laughs> surprise, surprise. Not. Yeah. <laughs> um, okay. That makes a lot of sense. So, so, and, and, and again, I, I'm curious to understand in the press messaging wise, you were very clear. You are not raising this capital to go public. You're raising it to stay private. Why be so clear with that message? That's a good question. I think, well, it was three years ago. So if we were promising to go public, we would have been wrong. Um, I think the main thing, it was $160 million, which is the size of many IPOs. Um, And we really felt like being private would give us the most flexibility uh, for the next several years, including against our public market competitors who are reporting things quarter to quarter. And while they have access to the public capital markets, which is great. Um, they're, I think lost, you lose a little bit of your ability, except for very few companies to make really long-term strategic bets. And we believe that this is still very much, you know, the first inning of this space and that we're making investments, some of which are going to pay back over three, five, and even 10 years. So having a set of investors on board that are thinking long-term. Uh, was really, really important. And we've been very lucky to really develop that investor base over time. Guys, big news. Last month was a huge month for the company I recently acquired, which was www.thetopinbox.com. I liked the company so much when I met the person who created it. It lets you send emails later on Gmail, set up reminders like snooze almost to keep your inbox clean, do things like send auto follow-ups and do open tracking so you know when your emails get opened. It's great if you're in sales or CEO or trying to be more productive. So listen, I bought the whole company on the spot and I wanna tell you how I did it. I've showed the deal, by the way, to big smart people, private equity firms, VCs, and they're dumbfounded. They go, Nathan, how did you do this? We've never seen a deal like this. How did you do this? So I did an unbelievable deal and I wanna show you the income report. So for me to send you the income report, go to www.thetopinbox.com, click the red button that says install this on Gmail, and when you do that, my email will appear. It'll appear in a little uh, Gmail pop-up window. Send me an email and I'll reply immediately with the income report, and you can see how I'm buying and growing small B2B SaaS companies. That's www.thetopinbox.com. Totally free to try and use, www.thetopinbox.com. In 2010 uh, at LaWeb, it was uh, generally reported by TechCrunch that you guys had passed that magical kind of $10 million per year mark. And then 2012, obviously, kind of Tony put out the statement, 45 million, 70 million sites up from 35 million in 2011 and over 500,000 paying customers in that year. Uh, Are you comfortable sharing kind of where you are today or maybe getting a range? Are you more or less than 150 million in ARR? I think the thing that we are saying publicly is that we're into the nine figures. Okay, got it. Fair enough. Into the so past 100 million in ARR, but we'll say less than a billion in ARR. That's a good range. I can say less than a billion. Less than a billion. So far. Next year. Next year will be a billion, right? All right, good. So I want to transition now to more some of the softer stuff in the business. We got some economics. You were running the company. Mm -hmm. Walk me through the process. Uh, How? how, Why did you replace yourself with Tony? And strategically, how do you recommend other founders do that if they want to go down the same path? Yeah, it's uh, it's definitely. Factually true to say I was running the company in the very beginning, but it was also just like five people. So it's not like, it wasn't like, uh, although a CEO, it wasn't like CEO, like you might think of a CEO. And I had already met Tony and knew that I wanted Tony to join the company. Um, so it was more a matter of, 
him kind of wrapping everything up at Yahoo, where he had sold his previous company to. And uh, but I knew I wanted Tony to be CEO, so he joined, and um, and we always worked super super closely together. So it was very much like um, we were paired essentially, and I learned a ton working alongside him. Uh, but we were always really clear with everyone because I had seen co-CEO and other kind of arrangements, and that seemed to create a lot of conflict. So I wanted everyone in the company to be clear. There was like there was a clear hierarchy, and Tony was at the very top. So he had the final say on everything, um, which I just think is healthy for an organization to have kind of a clear lines of responsibility. Um, but then as it's sort of started to scale and we started talking about this probably well, certainly a few years before we made the switch was Tony's passion about smaller teams. And I was really excited about taking automatic from like 200 people to 2000 people. So, um, we talked about it for a while, and that was actually a good exercise because we started to think, well, what's the thing that Tony, things that Tony's doing that I'm not going to enjoy or be good at, you know? And really started to build up the executive team, got a great CFO, general counsel, you know, head of HR, like sort of building out the team, which is something we should have done anyway. And uh, then the day after my 30th birthday, which Tony came to celebrate me with, uh, we kind of passed the baton, and he moved to take over a small team on automatic, and I became CEO. And that's that. And we still work together today. So that's so fun. So it's almost like you use the CEO title as a carrot to pull him into the company, right? From Yahoo, it worked really well, and now it's working well, just in a different form. Yeah, I think um, Tony and I—I you know, I like to say that we're business soulmates. Like he's someone I definitely see. I hope that we're in each other's lives the rest of our lives. And uh, the past, I guess, how many years? Twelve, thirteen years. Uh, that's been at Automatic and hope that can continue as long as possible. And if not, we'll figure out other ways to work together. Well, if we learn from history, there's somebody else right now that's winding down an acquisition and potential earnout with Yahoo, who is also kind of in this <laughs> space. Are we going to see a David Carp at Automatic anytime soon? Oh, <laughs> oh, you know, it's like when you try to get me to badmouth Tumblr earlier. I love uh, David and Tumblr. No, I wasn't so. trying to get you to badmouth them. I was curious. I, I mean, I was just <laughs> looking at patterns, right? No, yeah. If, Want to work with? Yeah, they would be great to work with. He's a like a really brilliant product person and just a generally nice guy. Switching modes here, building things internally to acquiring them. We'll talk quickly about acquisitions and then wrap up with Gutenberg. Um, you made an acquisition, obviously, of WooCommerce uh, back in 2015. I believe it was for for 30 million bucks. Why didn't you buy WP Engine before they did their 2015 round and got way more expensive? Because you got in early in 2011 there. Uh, that's a good question. So I would say that automatic isn't really so much in the hosting space, um, except for wordpress.com, which is like our entry level product. So, but Matt, that's a big deal, right? Um, well, our strategy with, with the many, many web hosts out there, including WP engine is to really create a great set of services with Jetpack that complement what they do. Um, I mean, WP engine at this point is 450 people, you know, that's automatic's only 650. So just serving their customer base, which is much smaller than ours, takes almost the same number of people. And if you add that up with the other people working on WordPress like GoDaddy and Bluehost, I mean, you get into the many, many thousands. So it's just kind of a different business. And um, and there's people who will build that type of business and be really passionate about it. Automatic's really like a technology and product company. So that's why WooCommerce made a lot of sense is it's both a technology and a product. <laughs> and we'll create SaaS services for it. 
And you, know, you can run it on WordPress.com, so there's definitely a hosting piece as well. But we believe, think of it kind of like Google with Android. Like they'll make their Pixel phones, so we'll make some some versions of WordPress that we think are the best in the world. But very key to our strategy is also working with every other manufacturer out there and every other host out there. So um, maybe there'll be Samsung, you know, maybe there'll be HTC, like who knows? But there's there's lots of space for for many companies in the, in the WordPress ecosystem. Gutenberg, why make it your first project when you get back? What is it and how can my listeners go use it? Sure, so first I'll say that Gutenberg's still in beta. So it's an open beta, um, but if you... Search for it on your plugin directory. Search for Gutenberg. Um, you'll see it. You'll be able to install it. The big idea is that we can basically move editing posts and pages from being kind of a document model where you type a bunch of text in the box to where you're really taking these building blocks, be it you know text, list, but also things like maps, videos, contact forms, products, and you can rearrange them in blocks. Uh, like building things with Legos. So this is how the best websites and the best layouts and everything work. And we just wanted to make something core of WordPress that really made it easy for everyone to do this. Um, changing the editor, since that's really in many ways the heart of WordPress, is by far the most controversial thing you can do <laughs> and the hardest. Because lots of people are very used to how WordPress has worked for the past 14 years. And there's lots of opinions on it. And it's also just technically difficult, like what we're building to build it in a way that works for the you know, you know many, 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 many tens of millions of WordPress sites out there, um, it's just tough. It's much harder than doing it in a plugin. So that's part of why we decided to tackle it. Was the you know WordPress has a great set of developers, has had a great set of leaders. There are different releases over the many years, um, particularly uh, Helen Husandi, who's been like super incredible, but. For this, I was like, well, let's tackle the very, very hardest thing. <laughs> Go I can't for it all. Core. You know, it's definitely a stretch, both leading core and running automatic the company, because both uh, are basically full-time jobs. But um, by working with great folks on both sides, I'm able to have a foot in both. And, uh, you know, my hope is once we get some of these really, really big, hard things out of the way, that will set up WordPress for kind of the next decade of what's going to happen with it. Makes good sense. Last questions on crypto, Matt, before we wrap up with the famous five. You made bets via your, do you call it a, I mean, do you call it a VC from Audrey Capital? That's how it's structured? Uh, it's structured. Well, it's a VC, but the, I'm the only LP. Got it. So it was a, a vehicle for me to make these investments. Yeah, so you, you made early bets in Coinbase and BitPay. Why? This was 2013. Oh, it's Coindesk, not Coinbase. Sorry, Coindesk. Although Coinbase would have been awesome. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, I... As a believer in open source, as a believer in distributing nature of the web, uh, Bitcoin from very early days was very interesting to me. And WordPress, I think, was one of the first large uh, internet services to add support for accepting Bitcoin for our services. At the time, Bitcoin was about $12. And the Bitcoin magazine was edited by the guy who later would found Ethereum. So he wrote the cover. There's a big cover article with the WordPress a Anthony logo. Delorio? So yeah, he was the editor of that magazine, which is again, really funny. Um, you know, it's, it's been an interesting space. I think that right now we're some ways a little bit disconnected from the fundamentals because it's become essentially like a new commodity, even a flight to safety, a hedge against, you know, 
inflation and central banks printing money. There's capital flight from restrictive regimes like China. Like there's just a lot of stuff being glommed onto Bitcoin, which is uh, interesting and fun. And that's kind of the cool part about open distributed systems is they get used in ways you would have never anticipated. Um, but I'm not, you know, my full-time job is not speculating or investing in these things. So <laughs> I mostly, I sold the vast majority of what I have and um, over the years. And I'll just keep a bit just for fun to, uh, to keep an eye on some, it. Some skin in the game. Keep yourself up to date with what's going on, right? Yeah. All right, Matt, let's wrap up here with the famous five. Number one, what's your favorite business book if you have one? So actually, I see one behind you that I'm reading. So uh, Principles by Ray Dalio. Funny story about this. I don't know if you can see. I don't know how clear it is, but there's actually like two, two copies up here because um, I just did it. I was I'm blessed. Uh, Portfolio just did a big deal with me, and they also publish. Uh, my agent also did uh, this book with uh, with awesome. Ray. Um, so I, I loved it so much I bought it, and then I get a hand signed copy from from Ray two days after. Right. So what do you ah, think? Do you like it? That's amazing. Uh, I'm not done with it, so I won't call it my favorite book. But I would say I would highly recommend it to everyone uh, listening. It's um, it's not a blueprint, right? You shouldn't take it you know, whole cloth and apply it. And in fact, he says that. But it's um, so fascinating to really get into the mind of, of this guy, Ray Dalio, who's created you know, far and beyond the sort of Bridgewater financial stuff. Just a really interesting organization. And I often, you know, one of my fantasies is like I would love to just work at some of these really uh, companies like Google or be inside Facebook for just like a year to like learn about their internal systems. I would just read the internet the whole year. You know? like, I don't, I don't yeah. actually want to work at those companies as much as like really deeply understand how they work and how they manage things and everything like that. And, um, and he really kind of opens the playbook for how they do it. And I'm also excited for the coming year when they're going to release some of their tools around assessments. And I think he's going to release a coaching app and a few things that he talks about, like internal tools they developed at, uh, at Bridgewater. Um, it's actually been something Automatic's always been uh, good about in the past and trying to be better about in the future. And that We work in a unique way and we want to open source and release a lot of the tools that we use to be one of the larger totally distributed companies in the world, You know, coordinate across time zones across, you know, 650 people in like 62 countries. You're fully, I was going to say, you're fully remote. We didn't touch on this, but fully remote team. And I really believe that's the future of work. And I also believe that the tools aren't that good yet. So that's why we've had to develop a lot of our own. Uh, Other than that, I'll say, I'll say two more books. I asked for one. That's okay. Well, we'll just make this the big question. It's going to be good. Um, I loved uh, Black Swan by Nassim Taleb. And... I'll do two more recommendations. Final penultimate business book is one called The Halo Effect, which basically talks about how to skeptically read other business books. So it's actually a good foundational one. <laughs> um, particularly tech press and some of the industry books, some of which are, are really good, like that recent Bradstone one on Uber and Airbnb. You also have to remember that these are very much colored by how well or poorly the company is doing at the time. So, you know, They've some of the strategies that they... Yeah, I read a really good book on, um, I think it was called Losing the Signal on BlackBerry, the rise and fall of BlackBerry. So if that book had been written in 2005, it would have probably said how all their strategies were perfect. Now written in 2017, it sort of looks at the stuff they were doing in 2005 and saying, oh, this was a huge mistake. So you have to be careful about taking lessons whole cloth from things. 
And then finally, something that I've started doing the past year or two is just reading a lot more fiction. Uh, I got into a mode where I only read nonfiction and business books and science books and history and stuff for a really, really, really long time. And um, actually, reading fiction has helped open me up in ways that have helped the business side of my work in a huge way. And, you know, because it's relatively new to me, I'm just going to all the classics, you know, uh, All the Light We Cannot See or 100 Years of Solitude or just like books that aren't necessarily new, but like uh, that people have said are really, really amazing and digging in and really loving it. Number two, is there a CEO in particular that you're following or studying and avoid the common ones? Anyone kind of underground you really like following? Uh, you know, I'll, I'll go super underground and talk about a company I just joined the board of, which is um, GitLab. And so the CEO there, Sid, is also, they're also a fully distributed company. But I would say they take some of the things that Automatic does even to a further degree. Um, they're smaller, they're kind of, you know, sub 200. But the um, but that's also still pretty large already, and uh, they're open source, but their business model is totally different because they're doing very much the enterprise side of things. So I've been learning a ton both from uh, the company and just learning more about the enterprise side of the business. That's that's great. Now, as a distributed team, number three here, what's your favorite online tool that you guys use to run and grow the business? Uh, so we use this thing we built called P2. Uh, you can look it up p2theme.com, and it's basically like uh, like an internet blogging tool. So you can use it to share things with your colleagues. We use that instead of email. So there's basically no email inside of Automatic. Interesting. Um, all of the email I get is external, which is also why I'm not very good at replying to it often. Um, everything internal either goes through P2 or Slack. Why did, by so, the way, I have to ask you something on that. Why did you, why did you agree to come on? Cause we, we, we tried some different, ta- I mean, we were very tactical with you and a few other CEOs on purpose. What worked for you? Why'd you respond? I don't recall. No, I, hey, <laughs> no, sorry, I can't, honest, I can't I'm glad you didn't make something up on the spot, but I'm glad you came on. This has been very valuable. So, <laughs> but it's definitely, you know, email for me is, um, it's since it's generally external and I prioritize WordPress and automatic, um, it can take a while to get back to folks. So I'm sorry if it did. Nope. Um, it was good. I had to work for it. It's good. Number, uh, number four, how many hours of sleep do you get every night? Um, you know, the past few months, kind of since the summer, it's actually been not enough. But I do target at least seven hours. And actually, last night I got nine hours. So I'm feeling really great today. Uh, but you know, I've been going for a few months on kind of a four to six hours. Yep. All right. And uh, what's your situation, Matt? Married, single? Do you have kiddos? Uh, I'm not married and I have no kids. Single, no kids. And how old are you? Uh, now 33. 33. Very good. So three years back at front there after the baton was passed off. Uh, last question. I'm going to change it for you. Um, because because you're wanting to stay private, what's the one argument that you've made to yourself where it would make sense to go public? Oh, well, let's assume that at some point in the future, uh, the business is at a point where there's sort of not no longer a strategic advantage to being private. Uh, access to the capital markets that are public would be fantastic. Um, and also provide liquidity to some of our early investors that have been around since the very early days. What I also like about it would be that you know, WordPress has a huge ecosystem, tens, maybe even hundreds of thousands of people that make their living from WordPress outside of Automatic. And it'd be great for them to be able to have a piece of the business. So that's actually something. If there were a way that didn't create tons of regulatory and disclosure hassles and everything like that, that I could give or that 
everyone who'd ever contributed to WordPress have some ownership in Automatic, I would do it. <laughs> now, Matt, come on, this is ironic. Uh, like token issuance. Sure. Um, that is kind of a way to IPO without IPOing. Right? And and do what you just said very well. I I thought about that, but I think Did you that, really? You seriously considered it? Of course. Um, but you know, one, I think there's a lot of ninety-nine percent of those are, are gonna go to zero. Yeah. Uh, there's a but there's also some in there that'll be category changing and change the world. Um but for us you know, I think that the token should have something intrinsic to it. It's sort of proof of work that is really uh, important for the business or the issuers or the holders. And there's just nothing in our business that would really benefit from a token uh, or really? a distributed ledger or that sort of approach. You you could definitely shoehorn something or like make a stretch, um, but it's not something I would personally feel good about. And, you know, it's always been very, very important to me that every any time I've taken someone else's money for something, whether that's as an investment or as a customer, um, you know, that they're buying something, one of our products. I want to feel that I'm giving them something that I really believe in, that I believe in for the long term, so for decades to come, and that we're proud of. So um, I haven't had that idea for, <laughs> so for it, a token it's, yet. It's fairly safe to say no token issuance for you and no IPO in the next 12 months. You're going to keep building, stay internal focused and go from there. Yeah, either would be a big surprise to me. Yeah, so. there you go. Fair enough. Guys, there you have it from Matt, again, founder of WordPress and then Automatic back in 2005. Then in 2008, turned down a big offer, $200 million, used that smartly to create competition. The value was set on the company, raised capital. They have since raised $317 million total. Obviously, some of that combined into some secondary rounds as well. Uh, healthy valuation, made smart acquisitions in the form of WooCommerce, also built things themselves like Jetpack doing well, making money through subscriptions to their hosting provider, also their VIP plan. Again, well into the well past $100 million now in revenue. Matt, thank you so much for spending time with us. Thanks for taking us to the top. No problem.